Open your Bibles to Hebrews, the second chapter. Someone shared a funny story with us. I don't remember who it was. I think maybe he or she might be in the audience. But this woman came to the altar and uh, the pastor went down and said, uh, what's your need, sister? And she said, well, I need prayer for my hearing. And like some pastors do, they get the oil out. He puts the hands up on her ears. In Jesus' name, come out! After he prayed, he said, well, how is your hearing, sister? She said, I won't know until Tuesday. Yeah, I know. There's two kinds of hearings in life. All right, Hebrews, the second chapter. Verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time, notice that, lest at any time this thing can strike. We should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedient received a just recompense of reward, in other words, nobody's going to get away. Everybody is going to receive just what they deserve. Then he goes on and says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? No one is going to escape who rejects our Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely no one. The concern of drifting runs through the Bible over and over again under various names, such as falling away, settling on the lees, backsliding, apostasy, and several others, but nowhere is it more vividly expressed than in our text, and here only is the word drift itself only used. I want to talk to you about drifting. Drifting is the very sin to which the author of Hebrews is writing about. The Jewish Christians were in danger of drifting back into Judaism. They missed the fellowship and the association of the synagogue worship. They felt cut off from their 4,000 years of religious inheritance by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David. And that brings up a point. When you take your eyes off of God and his son and start putting your trust in human reformers, pastors, people, you might begin to drift away from Jesus Christ. 
When you put your hope in your religious labels instead of your relationship with God, you may well be in the process of a drift. You ask people everywhere, stop them, take a... Stop them on the street, take a census and ask them. And how many of them will answer you when you ask the question, are you saved? Well, I'm a Baptist. I go to the Church of God. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm this, I'm that. That doesn't answer the question. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to bring a relationship between him and us. It's all about a relationship. And here's the catch. Most of the time when people are drifting, it's not a deliberate turning away from God. It's almost unconscious. It's almost imperceptible. So the author of Hebrews shows them they have lost nothing. And they have gained everything in Christ. All that Moses could do, Christ can do. And so much more can Christ do. Anytime you run into a religious body and they try to tell you, well, it's Christ and my priest. It's Christ and Brigham Young. It's Christ anytime they bring in a human figure. Just know they're in the process of drifting. Christ is all we need. There's no other Savior in the world. There's no second, third, fourth, or fifth place. Somebody says, how can I narrow it down? How can I figure it out? There's so many religions out there, yes, and so many religious leaders out there, and there's Confucius and Mohammed and this one and that one. How can I tell which is the real one? There's only one grave that's empty. That's the real one. He rose from the dead. Nobody else. So this subject of drifting should be very close to our hearts. Drifting is a very heavy subject in God's word, and it reveals the deception of once saved, always saved, eternal security. Listen to Jude 19. Listen to what he said. Jude talks all about apostasy. He says, These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, implying they once had it, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 
Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. So if God is able to keep us from falling, that means at one time we were standing. He is able to keep you from falling and to present, your fault, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and evermore. Amen. If those early Hebrew Christians were in danger of drifting, how much more are we in danger of drifting today with the thousands and thousands of distractions and temptations and all the ungodliness that's assaulting our souls daily through all the medias, we are in much greater danger than they were. Because we're a long ways from God today. And when you turn your back on God, and the Bible said all nations that forget God... They're turned into hell. Therefore, that's why the Hebrew writer says, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip and drift away from God. What is this drifting? It's a malignancy. It's a creeping crud waiting to corrupt our souls and destroy our happy homes and all our families that live in them. Did not Jesus say a whole lot when he warned us? Sufficient unto each day is the evil thereof. You got enough problems, enough trouble, enough seductive spirits, all kinds of evil knocking on your doors pressing on your mind, trying to get into your home, and they've gotten into everything else. And because Jesus said, if there's enough evil every day, you don't have to worry about it tomorrow. You've got to take care of today. So the point is, you've got to keep rowing. You've got to keep rowing the boat. Stop rowing. Look at the scenery, read a book, give yourself 20 minutes, and you'll recognize that the scenery keeps changing. That's because your boat is drifting, but it's imperceptible. You hardly know that you're slipping away, but you know what? Everybody around you knows it. Everybody else around you can see it. Drifting is a very heavy subject in the Word of God. We dare not leave our souls to the mercies of the tempestuous waves and the undercurrents of this old world. Our culture today, from our youth up, they are in a deadly moral drift, and that drift is taking them away from God. All we have to do 
is surrendered to the currents and the influences that surround us. And we begin drifting. Your mind can get attracted to something that's legitimate. Music. TV. Pleasure. This, that, or the other thing. And before you know it, you're starting to drift. Drifting never, ever takes you upstream. It's always downstream. Always further and further away from God. All you've got to do is put your life in neutral. And your flesh will take you a little bit at a time away from God. Why do you think pastors and evangelists and teachers and parents are always harping to their people to be faithful to worship God? Be faithful to read your Bible with purpose. Be faithful to pray earnestly and effectually. Be obedient to God's word. Because being faithful to the Lord requires rowing against the currents. Before I got saved, my body did, my mind did, my members did what came natural. The bent inside of every human is the forbidden fruit. Today, the fruit is hanging so low that our teeny boppers can get it. They're exposed to it. Drifting is real. But being faithful to the Lord requires that you and I row upstream. Listen to 2 Peter, or you can follow along with me, the second chapter. These, there's warnings like this all over the word of God especially the New Testament. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. You've got to keep adding to your faith. Add to your faith what? Virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. You've got to keep learning more about God. Because God has become the most misunderstood person in the whole world today. Because people refuse to learn more about God. Read his book. Understand his will. Know what it is. So he goes on and says, And to temperance, add patience and to patience, godliness. Try to get as godly and as holy as you can get. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Isn't that strange? 
the more godly you are, the more brotherly love and care and concern you'll show to one another. What else? Kindness. And to brother kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, overflow, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. God never leaves us where he finds us. We've got to keep rowing. We've got to keep rowing through our moods. We've got to keep rowing through our attitudes. We've got to keep rowing when we don't feel like rowing. Because your soul and my soul is at stake. And all it takes is you shipping the oars, just putting them in the boat and resting a while, and before you know it, something will start working on you, and by the time you wake up to what it is, you'll be way downstream and very possibly and likely away from God. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Row and grow in the grace of God. Drifting is real. It's dangerous, it's deadly, and it's deceptive. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched this over and over again. Believers who continually miss services after service, sometimes they go for weeks and months and years. And at an altar of prayer, they say to me, Pastor, I just got busy. I just got distracted. I'm not talking about evil people. I'm talking about people who have so many things on their plate, but none of them are as important as seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happened to these people? They got caught in the undercurrent of life. Currents they couldn't see, habits they couldn't see that were growing on them, growing to their amazement. They couldn't discern the spiritual trouble they were in till the damage was already done. They got hardened to the things of God and they didn't know it. They lost interest in the things of God and they didn't know it. They lost the peace of God and they didn't know it. 
They lost their love for God. And they didn't know it. They were backslid. And they didn't know it. Do you know why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the writer asks, who can know it? And the very next verse says, I, the Lord, know the heart. If you don't see your life as God sees life in this book, you're in trouble. We only see ourselves, and especially when we're deceived, and you never saw so many people out here that don't know a thing about God. But they go to church, and if they want to brag about their Christianity, they tell you what denomination they're a part of, and they say it proudly. But they use the F word from the very top to the very bottom. People who are running this country, they curse like drunken sailors. But they'll tell you how to live. I'm talking about drifting, folks. I'm getting a little older. I know I don't look it. But it's a reality. And I don't know who's going to take my place. That's up to God. But whoever it is, I hope he digs around the hearts more than I do. Because things are going to be a lot worse tomorrow than they are today. You talk about a famine. Not of food and drink. We're in a famine of hearing the word of God in this country. We also don't even know that we've lost our witness, our testimony, our ministries, and our fellowship with God. And only as God awakens us will we know really what we are and who we are. And you know what's really sad? And I've already said this, others around us can see it. And when they see what's going on in your life, and when they see that you are backsliding or you're not what you ought to be, it discourages them. And they say to themselves, well, if mommy and daddy can't see things and I can see things, it's very discouraging that we all be pulling in the same direction, that we all be loving one another with pure hearts fervently, that we serve God with all our heart, our mind, our soul. There's not a whole lot of positive images being demonstrated today. And it doesn't stop there. 
drifters lose their opportunities with the lost. The Holy Spirit's power that accompanies our witnessing to others is gone. Don't forget what Jesus said just before he left, after his resurrection. He resurrected, showed himself to 500 people, to all the saints, wanted them to know he was alive. Here's the nail prints. Here's the hole in my side. Because he knew they would fabricate stories and try to say the resurrection never happened. So he had to come back to show everybody he really did raise from the dead. But his business wasn't over yet. He said, Terry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, and ye shall be my witnesses. Because he chose you and me to be the light of the world. Stop and think about it. Before that statement was made 2,000 years ago, there were much brighter people in the world. Aristotle, People like that, they were brilliant. But Jesus said to the saints, a ragtag bunch of people don't know their right hand from their left. You and you and you, you're the real light of the world. This thing doesn't run on intellectuality. I'm not not saying um, ignorance is bliss. Get all the education you get. But don't let some communist teach you. Try to get a saint. Don't come home from college and start getting all over your mother and father. Like my little niece came home, my twin brother. And he said to my twin brother, Poppy, I'm not going to your church anymore. And my twin said, why not? Because you only believe in two genders. See, they're coming home stupid when they're even teeny boppers. We're in bad shape. We're in bad shape. But I like what Brother Yoder said. Sin will cost you. And it's painful. And judgment will come. But the last word, because it's God's will that none perish, is restoration. There might be a little bit of revival going on before Jesus comes home. Comes back to this world. Not to build a kingdom. Not to take a weapon and fight carnally. You and I are going to meet him in the air. They which are in the graves are going to come out first. And we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up in the air with them. Ain't no carnival ever made a ride like that. What are the warnings of drifting? We lose our desire and taste for the things of God. The Bible becomes boring to us. 
when it used to speak to our hearts right off the page. Praying becomes an irksome duty, and the very thought of spending 10 minutes in prayer with God bites us because we are feeling like we don't have the time to pray. We've got to go here, we've got to go there, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. We're so busy with trying to tie down all the loose strings, we don't have no time for God. So now we've lost God's word in our lives to direct us. We've lost prayer to communicate with God and to keep our relationship alive. Drifting will cause us to lose three of the most powerful communicative blessings that a man can have with God. When you stop praying, when the word of God is not in motion in your life, and when the leadership of the Holy Spirit is not leading you, you've lost the best that heaven has to offer. When the word no longer jumps off the page, when praying never brings a tear, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman, the Holy Spirit of God can keep you from taking a wrong turn. And what follows that is our desire to be with God's people in worship fades away. And I want you to see what happens in Hebrews 10. One of the best things we got going right now is our fellowship and having one another. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren and the sisteren to, to, to have unity with one another. Listen to what you're missing. Listen to what we miss. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Listen, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. What's happening? When you lose your taste for the fellowship of God's people, you lose the cheering squad. I need people to come up to me every once in a while. You need people to come up to you once in a while. Say, Jim, keep it up. Keep it up. Be nice to your wife. Yeah, well, that's why I'm trying to cherry on. You understand what I'm saying? We need cheerleaders. 
We don't have cheerleaders. What's out there now just drag you down. Everybody's got a sad story. We've got the greatest story ever told. Amen. We need cheerleaders. Zach. So glad to see you, brother. You're a great guy. I went in to buy some cologne from your wife at Bath and Body, whatever it's called. And um, I said, by the way, you, you gave me a whole bottle, $16, $17 of a Bath and Body Wash. It's supposed to make me sparkle. <laughs> and smell like a rose. And I said, let me give you $15. I'm going to pay you for it. She says, oh, no. I said, I insist. She said, I said, I'm your pastor. She still refused. I couldn't give her away $15. So then I, feeling bad, I bought another bottle of something else. And this is bath, body, and hair. <laughs> Amen. I thought maybe this stuff will grow a few weeds. So I'd put it on there. And so I gave her a $20 bill, and it was three, three or $4 change. I said, keep the change. She said, no, and she put it right back in my face. <laughs> you never get rich with that woman. <laughs> <laughs> but don't we need cheerleaders? I love it when people come up to me and say, you look so young. And I'm saying to myself, right on, baby. <laughs> and don't look at me, you like compliments too. And you know what else people love? When they come in for the first time, second time, there's one right back here. I'm looking at him. Lewis Allen. I remembered his name. Got to talking to him the other day. I said, what do you do? First I said to him, I said, Lewis, did you enjoy the service? He said, yes. I said, do I preach like a brother? He said, yes. Then I asked him what he does for a living. He cleans cars. My Venza is a pig pen, my Toyota. It's got coffee stains all over the seats, sticky stuff all over the console, smudges all over the dashboard. I mean, it's filthy. And he said he details cars, uh, trucks, whatever. I said, I want you to clean my Venza. So, he said, well, pastor, I'll clean it, but after the way I heard you preach, I'm going to give you a deal. And he gave me a deal. And he charged me so much. And I said, no, that's not enough. I don't want to take advantage of you. 
So I gave him another, whatever it was, $30. And went up to pick up my car. And I drove past his garage. And I was in the car, and I rolled down the window, and I looked. The car wasn't out there yet. He needed another 30, 40 minutes. I said, is the car done? He says, go away. <laughs> Don't come in yet. So I went home, and my sister-in-law, we drove back down. And I'm not exaggerating, folks. I know how dirty my car was. He had it out there on the parking lot. It looked like it just came off the floor uh, room show, the, the show, the whatever it is. The, what, what is it? The showroom. The showroom. That thing was shining. It, I never saw it so clean in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and I took it home, and I parked it in the garage. And it's not coming out till I get married. <laughs> hey, finder's fee. I'm advertising. The guy can clean a car. Fact, you used to work for Chesron, didn't you? And I know Chesron, he was on top when it come to cleaning his cars. But anyway, this guy does a fabulous job. How do we get off on that? Huh? What happened? Cheerleaders, yes, yes. Hey, I did some cheering, right? Drifting. Got some sharp people around here. <laughs> you know you're drifting when you no longer want to be around the saints. Where can you go? What better place to be in? than in God's house that's filled with Christians. Christians that really do love you. They really do want to see you do better. I went down to look at my investments last week. And I don't even remember who I was talking to. I said, the Lord has blessed me. He's helped me. I've done well, thank God. And this person kept saying, I'm so happy for you that God's blessing you. Sometimes when you tell people you got a good blessing or God did this or God did that for you, they get jealous. But it's nice when people say, and the brothers and the sisters say to one another, I'm so glad your surgery went well. I'm so glad 
that your health is back. I'm so glad that you're back in the house of God. Good to see you, Sherm. I'm going to wrap it up. And something else we all should know about drifting. It's always moving. A river, a stream, never runs upwards. It always runs downwards. And if you keep yielding to the influences and the impulses and all the distractive currents of life and the conformities of compromise will very well claim your soul. We may have won victories, listen carefully, we may have won victories in our secular lives, demonstrated some high ideals. We might be able to say like the psalmist, thou hast brought me into a large place. But if we do not take earnest heed to the things with what we, which we have heard and faithfully live them out, our spiritual lives may very well end in defeat. We cannot afford, especially today, to lose our vision of God in the common duties of everyday life through the love of ease. We can drift away from the glory of what the secular world calls living the dream, only to wake up to an eternal nightmare. Let me explain it this way. Many icebergs, massive things, they float majestically in the cold climates. They grow weary of that realm of white and stainless purity shining upon the sea to which they belong. They're massive. But every now and then, one breaks away from their connections and they begin that long, slow journey drifting to a milder climate. And on and on they drift towards warmer and more comfortable seas. And on and on towards the balmy south and the careless sunshine of the topics. tropics. And in return, the sunshine destroyed their majestic existence. It's summertime, saints. Remember to dress well. You're a child of God. You're light to the world. And in return, with the balmy south and the careless sunshine, in return, the sunshine begins to destroy that majestic existence of the white, shiny iceberg. Child of God, don't be lured into the sparkling summer seas and carnal pleasures of the world 
at the cost of your never dying soul. Drifting amounts to doing nothing. Our boats do not need to row downstream. The stream itself will carry them down. Never forget the streams of this world. They're dark, they're dirty. So church of God, keep rowing upstream. Drifting is usually unperceived by the soul. Even though others can clearly see it, remember the heart is deceitful above all things. So first of all, there's three things about uh, drifting. Drifting is usually unperceived. Drifting always goes from a higher to a lower level of faith in life. And drifting usually begins with laziness, carelessness, or busyness. These things are found in every religion of life, and it's a disaster whenever it happens. But it's the most disastrous when we don't make time for God in our lives. The worst evil is the evil that is shown to the best, and that is God. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to God. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is a strong current in this country at this hour, and it's carrying souls away by the thousands carrying them away from their solid, godly convictions they once tenaciously held to. That impression comes from the popular trend that the Bible is no longer the final authority. You ever notice how much the Bible, as well as Christianity, is being attacked? A devilish spirit of inclusiveness, equity, and equality is trying to destroy the authority of God's word. And that's impossible. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will go right on throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. But I want you to see what they're doing. You talk about a rebellion. You talk about an evil. They have taken the very word of God those that are out there in darkness. And they've twisted it to support their earthly, sensual, and devilish desires. They say to the Christian community, thou shalt not hate any lifestyles. And then jump over to a more positive Law, and they say, Thou shalt love. You ever see when they march? They use God's word to say, You can't hate this lifestyle and that lifestyle. And then they turn it around and use the same word of God and say, You gotta love everybody, you gotta love all those 
lifestyles out there that God's word strongly condemns. And they're taking the very word of God and they're trying to make you think that that's how God feels. But nobody ever reads Romans, the first chapter. Nobody knows the Bible well enough to read all those places where God says it's wrong. And then God says, what's going to happen to those people who are wrong and disobey and rebel? They have taken God's word and twisted it to support their earthly, sensual, and devilish desires. And they say to the Christian community, thou shalt not hate any lifestyles. To a more positive law, thou shalt love. But what they don't know is that it is not lessening God's law, but it's increasing God's authority and power. Yes, God says, thou shalt not hate, and it says, thou shalt love. But when you take it out of context, to try to justify your perverted lifestyle, you're blaspheming. And you're in a whole lot of trouble. Repentance is the only escape. It's truly an anchor to the soul. Look at our text, Hebrews 2.3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? When God gave his only begotten son to die to rescue us from our sins and that so great a love that was so freely given, that means that our escape from divine punishment is absolutely impossible to escape. So I close with these questions. Are you drifting from the Lord? How can I tell? because you changed your position on some convictions. There was a day that worshiping God was a priority. Now you do it when you got time. It used to be a time when you used to swear. And then God saved you and you stopped. And then you started inserting the little swear words. And James says, can sweet and bitter come out of the same fountain? You're either going to come out clean or you're either going to come out dirty. That's how God feels. So question one, are you drifting from the Lord? Are there signs of drifting in your life? What kind of signs? Maybe the music you're listening to that has vulgar lyrics? Maybe the TV that you watch? Maybe the books that you read. And then last but not least, 
how honest are you going to be right now with your soul? I know it's too late to ask for an altar call, but we will close with prayer. It's a serious hour in which we live, and there's a lot, a lot of good people who are caught in the currents, and the trends, and the fads, and the fashions. I'm not saying tattoos or anything like that, all these piercings that I can just tell you that's the, not the right direction to go. You know how much it costs to get a tattoo today? And I'm not, not if you got a tattoo, I don't even think it's sin. I mean, it's just maybe something that you did in the spur of the moment. It costs $250 to $300 to get a tattoo. You know why? Because having those kinds of markings and piercings is popular. And everybody wants to be popular. But they lost their image. We're created in the likeness and the image of God. It's the devil who's trying to disfigure God's apex of his creation. It's the devil who's trying to get people to look inhuman. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just preaching to you. We're in a lot of trouble. And there's a lot of preachers that can't even preach these kinds of things to their people. You'd be surprised how many preachers have compromised and won't tell people the truth or at least help them to understand what's happening. So we're going to have prayer. I'm going to pray. And I just want you to think about what was preached this morning. You can offer a hundred excuses why you don't do this, you don't do that, why you don't come to prayer meeting, why you don't come to revival, why you don't come to camp meeting, why you don't come to church. But you'll never get the right response until you're honest with your own soul. We went from three services a week to two just to make it easier so we'd have two good services instead of three tired services plus Sunday school. And some people did well for just a short while and then took advantage of trying to give you a better schedule. You got to be honest. You got to be true to your own soul. You'll never, ever get to heaven if you're not honest. You don't have to be honest with me you got to find a place, get alone with God, and ask God to show the house to the house. God, show me if there's somewhere in my life 
One day I got down to pray, talking about restitution, honest to God's truth. And when I was a teenager, crazy, I went into the Carl Company and I stole goggles, baseball glove, and I even took a baseball bat out. I don't remember how I did it. Maybe I put it in my leg, walking like this out the door. I don't know. I don't even remember how it happened. But then I got saved. And I prayed, and they said, God, is there anything in my life that I'm overlooking? And I'm praying. And in that prayer, I like saw angels underwater swimming, and the one looked at me and had a goggle mask on. <laughs> I went to the Carl Company, tried to figure out how much I owed the guy. Went up to this one guy, and I said, you know, I got a Christian, uh, I, I got saved, and I need to make a restitution. The guy said, yeah, okay, fine. And I took out some money, and I was getting ready to give it to him but he wasn't the treasurer of Carl Company. And I didn't like the look in his eye. And I said, uh, do you have a treasurer here? Oh, yeah. I said, well, that's who I want to give the money to. Everybody's trying to hook you every time you turn around. But anyway, let's pray. You ready to pray? I know you're ready to go home. Don't forget George Holly will be here this coming week. Can't wait. And uh, we've got a lot of burdens. Charlotte, it's good to see you. Ivan will be praying for you. God bless you, Ivan. I mean, you know, you, you got a couple issues on the plate. A lot of sick people. Sister Mel, we want to remember her in prayer. Missing her. She's a saint. She's a cheerleader. Amen? All right. While you're seated, we're going to look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness. We thank you for the testimonies. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for an opportunity to pause throughout the week and pull aside and focus a little bit on spiritual things, take a look at our own lives now and then and try to see if there's anything that needs to be adjusted, if there's any decisions that need to be made. But, oh God, we pray that you'll help us all to be honest and true to our own souls. This is the preliminary judgment. You're giving us more opportunities and more opportunities every time we come in church to get things straightened out. But that day is coming when it will be too late. When you split the clouds, it'll be too late. No adjustments will be made as a tree falls. If death comes on us first or Jesus returns, 
It'll be in a moment. It'll be instant. We won't have time to make adjustments. But every time we're in the house of God, hear the word of God, go to a prayer meeting, you're giving us an opportunity to make things right. We thank you for that mercy. And so, Lord, we pray that if anyone here is drifting, knows that they're drifting, or doesn't know, and you can reveal that to them, help them, oh God, to make that adjustment. What shall it profit any of us if we gain the whole world and we lose our own souls? Nothing we can give in exchange for our soul. So Lord, help us with the moments and opportunities that you give us to worship together that we can make those continual adjustments and that we can continue to be set apart more and more by the word of God. Help us to make our election sure. And Father, bless this audience and those who may have needs We pray that you'll help them to lay those needs down at your feet and to walk out of here different than they came in. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy and for this people who are so willing to listen so attentively to your word. Bless those who are viewing via live stream. And, oh God, as we go, let us go rejoicing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, you're all dismissed.